funny, Amber. Would you like to play a game, Tara? And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are capping off our MMO Screams miniseries with the review of the much-anticipated, long-awaited Scream 5 slash Scream slash Scream 2022 slash reboot slash sequel slash any other word that, that might describe what this is. But yes, the newest addition and entry into the Scream franchise is what we will be reviewing today. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, go back and listen to our first two episodes in this MMO Screams miniseries. It was a labor of love. It was a joy. We rewatched these movies way too many times, mm-hmm. uh, but I think uh, it's appropriate, and it worked out in this case because we got a really cool fifth film. I mean, this usually happens for us, Mike, where we do the miniseries or we do the, the rewatch series, and we get a good movie at the end of it most times in our history. Yeah, we're we're pretty lucky in that regard and as much as we chalk it up to luck my ego and arrogance will also chalk it up to us (laughs) picking our spots and knowing what we're talking about sometimes that's right yeah this i i was and if you go back and listen to our episode you'll hear this then but i was surprised at like how good this movie was received universally um we can put our own spin on it but i i guess just to like give a preview of where we stand yeah great sequel right um i was hyped i was very prematurely angry with you in our last episode (laughs) yes you were (laughs) because i feared you would not like it irrationally completely irrational well i i i had a phobia that you would hate the movie and i immediately took out that anxiety on your head (laughs) the entirety of the last salty sag nomination episode (laughs) that we just did But the stakes were high. Like, the stakes were high for this one today. So we'll put everybody at ease immediately Mm. because you liked it, and thank God you liked it. I will say, I was more let down than I let on with you after my first viewing, but not enough to, like, say it was bad or I was disappointed or anything. I was just like, oh, that's a little weird. I wish they didn't do that. But after – I've watched this twice. Mike's watched this three times himself. Like, on rewatch, I think this movie gets better. You have your own thoughts about what you think happens on rewatch. We're going to get into all of it. But let's talk Mm -hmm. about the box office and what this movie did. And it's not only a critical success and it's scoring high critics marks and audience marks, but it's been a bona fide box office success as well, Mike. Yeah, $34 million on the rake domestically after its four-day Martin Luther King junior uh holiday weekend it did 30 in the first three days it did another four uh on on monday Uh, i think it's 34.8 total so it's almost 35 there i saw the international number at 18 but then i'm reading tweets and everybody's saying the the total the worldwide total was around 53 i still don't know what the whole worldwide weekend haul was but on a 24 million dollar budget mike they did very well th- for themselves they're almost already in the black yeah and that's the biggest one of the biggest takeaways for me is that okay we'll just green light scream 6 we know it's going to happen this is going to be a whole new start for a new franchise it would seem and unlike the previous installments of scream specifically 4 and to an extent 3 that we've talked about this one like you said, is making money right away in pandemic times without being day and dated to death. And I thought, sure, this was going to open up uh, simultaneously on Paramount Plus. They resisted that. And look, we kept repeating ourselves horror and kids movies, horror and kids movies. And the kind of the demographics 
point that out. The the box office receipts point that out. This is a horror franchise, a legacy horror entry, and it made money. And we're humongous kids. We're men children. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, and, and we like horror movies. When the Hollywood Reporter reported on the the audience demographics for this, and they said eighteen to thirty four, <laughs> and I just turned thirty five, my I felt like I got stabbed with the knife twisted in my gut. It's like, God damn it, that's not me anymore. That is not you anymore, yeah. and uh, it'll never be again. Hey, right. thanks for that, yeah. man. <laughs> never, never again. You're old now. You're one of us. One of us. One of us. That's another franchise. Uh, 53% audience was male, 47% female. Uh, the audience reception was a B-plus cinema score, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 13K ratings there on IMDb, big number. We had a 75% Hold through the weekend on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics love this movie predominantly. 198 reviews total thus far. 61 meta score. So the the reviews held, Mike. And here's what's interesting. I listened to Ryan C. Showers, his podcast, Screen Podcast. Big big fan of that one. Yeah. Shout out to him. He really did a great work the last six months, but certainly uh, over these this last month with the interviews, etc. Mm-hmm. Go again, Screen with Ryan C. Showers. Words of wisdom for today, but. He was t- like him and his guys, his main go tos on the last episode, they all had a similar reaction that you did. Like they, they had nitpick problems and they had first reaction issues. I wonder if that's the definition or the dividing line between fans like me who just kind of love movies but kind of watch everything and they have a, an addiction, and you, the true fans. The fanatics, the the people that uh, probably like these movies a little too much. Hey, we're spoiler free right now, right? We're spoiler free. <laughs> okay, okay. You are you and suggesting your cronies? Are you suggesting that fandom might be toxic and could hurt the mentality <laughs> of the people who love these franchises? I I think that that, but I think the dividing line is like the true crazy fans mm-hmm. had to, to come around on this movie a little more and and they enjoy it more on rewatch, like you were saying. At least. It seems that way. Does that make sense to you overall? Yeah. Look, we're, I mean, there's no secret whatsoever. We're uh, kind of what's happened in MMO's history is that you have been the one that's like been uh, affiliated and obsessed with the auteur and the auteur's thinking and their approach to film. And I've been raised by franchises that I was far too young to watch. So I've been more drawn to, you know, the Halloweens and the screams and the franchise and the actual IP itself. So in terms of that thinking, yeah, I think if you are that toxically attached to an IP, there's going to be nitpicks. I I think that's just the, the nature of the beast. Now, if only some, screenwriters out there would pen a screenplay to talk about that uh in a meta way it might make for a good slasher someday you know it it just might especially when uh we're about 60 and we still want to watch these movies but we've seen it all before every which way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they keep updating it for us the main demo right exactly but yeah i mean there's definitely something to that where you're if you're too attached i mean look nobody should know it it (laughs) You shouldn't know every line to every screen movie, right? <laughs> but some of us do. <laughs> some of yous do. Right, exactly. <laughs> and Ryan C. Showers, Mike One, you guys should should meet up sometime. Uh, your experience watching this movie in the theaters, I- I'm curious about this. I was so tempted 
to to go with you to f- kind of force my way into a screening with you but i was so mad at you prematurely that i couldn't do it that, that being said i went to the btx and trumbull three times and i think that might be my new favorite theater it's in connecticut they i got didn't the, see it there but that, i've been there it's a very good theater Dolby Atmos and pristine audio video quality. I went once and I was like, all right, let me just keep going back every day to see it, you know, uh, rewatch it again. So I ended up seeing it there three times. How was your theaters? Were Were you ever in a packed house? Yes and no. Like it's so spread out and leathered up and, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's very strange. Like it's very at home and you're kind of in your own world. I was. I never felt crowded. No. I mean, we saw Gucci there. Didn't we see Gucci there together? Yep, Gucci was there. Yeah, and that felt a little packed. That was packed. Yeah, and, and then, then uh, also James Bond was quite right. packed as well. So th- this was not as crowded as either. But then again, I saw this movie at 11 a.m. on the two weekend days mm-hmm. because I'm old now, right? And old people go to the movies in the morning, sure. A.M. Sure. Uh, regardless of the matinee prices, but it helps. It definitely is a you know, I will go to a matinee because it's a little cheaper. Uh, but I think uh, I'm a little upset with my AMC theater because they don't offer screenings until like four, three, four p.m. I noticed that weekends. about AMC lately, and it's not even not even it's like oh, seven days a week now. They don't start showing things until three p.m. And I wonder if the that's them saving money or if that's you know what what the change is with that because that never used to be like that. And I'm equally concerned as you are for that kind of revelation and that new practice. Um, I saw this in a regular theater, actually at the same theater, the movie theater. I thought, sure, we were going to cross paths at one point, but, um, I, I saw- kept looking for you in the lobby. <laughs> I, I figured I'd see you and I was going to, I was going to jump scare you. Wearing However, it was shaking mask. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, my theaters were not packed either. I was like maybe half full. So I'm, I'm heartened. I'm happy to see the box office numbers and the box office return. And there's a lot of people, if you search this out on Twitter, that are just saying they've gone to repeat view this and kind of gone back and wanted to see it multiple times. But yeah, light theaters for the ones, the showings I was at and the showings you were at. Now, that's all anecdotal because we ended up seeing at the same establishment, just in different actual theater houses, which means it was playing in multiple different theaters rooms anyway. So maybe there's something to that as well. I guess it's heartening that it did well at the box office yeah. this weekend then because uh, by our readings it would not have and yet here we are. So, you know, fingers crossed uh, people will see it and ma- maybe the cool kids just went later. Maybe that's what it was. Did you cuz you didn't do any 10 p.m., 11 p.m. showings, did you? I mean, what am I? Fucking 17? No. <laughs> I'm old. What am I in we that just main demographic. Right. We just no. described we just discussed this. We're both in this old demographic now. We Can both I have went, the popcorn without the salt, please? We went brunch hour on the weekends. <laughs> we went the the early evening I've, on the weekends. I made a decision years ago to trade in a social life for movie going, and now I'm <laughs> old right. and I do my movie going in the daytime. Well, good, sir. I concur about this. Practice. All right, what are we doing? We have uh, a non-spoiler review followed by the spoiler review, so let's let's kind of dive in. We're going to steer clear of all spoilers here, no matter what. I really want to make sure of that because I know a lot of our uh, friends across the pond, like movie theaters, got closed down, Mike. So I do think we got to be careful. And there is speaking of the international rate, like. Canada had a couple territories that are still closed and aren't reporting box office receipts. And that's why the international gross has been kind of weird to 
pin down exactly what this movie is doing because it's there's some territories that it's banned, there's some territories it's not available, there's some territories that are closed down completely, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we will be spoiler free for the first half, but the first half will probably go quite a bit quicker than the, the spoiler filled section, which will be in the second half of this episode. Yeah, at least we had a quick intro to make sure that happens. So here we go. <laughs> Freshly passing the 37-minute mark. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about the overall composition direction and some script thoughts having to do with 2022 Scream. I'll never doubt these filmmakers again. Nope. Radio silence, yep. Mike. Uh, the, the trio of Matthew Bettinelli, Open, Tyler Gillet, and producer Chad Valela. I probably mispronounced all their names. I apologize. Uh, Southbound, Ready or Not, and now Scream 5 director, producers, and I thought they delivered overall. I mean, that's just going to be my main thesis statement for the whole episode. James Vanderbilt of Zodiac Murder Mystery. We, we went over kind of the main people involved, Guy Busick, ready or not, screenwriter. Uh, just kudos to them. It's cool that the fandom hasn't gotten so toxic that I, I didn't hear anyone be like, well, this is Wes's baby. You can't make this without Wes. And this is right. such a love letter, both, you know, whether you want to talk meta or in cinematic universe. To Wes. Yeah, exactly. It's a love letter to Wes Craven. And they're so respectful, these guys are, uh, of, of Wes and the property in general. And you can tell they're such fans. Man, this, I don't know who started this. I don't know if David Gordon Green started it, but it's so cool to be in this situation right now this point in time where the people who were raised by these movies are now in the industry and have enough stroke and experience where they get to actually helm these franchises and like you could tell the care taken and david gordon green did it with halloween the radio silence guys have done it now with scream and i imagine they'll do it with scream sequels coming out of here as well it's just very very cool to see so i'm not gonna pretend to be one of you's (laughs) <laughs> in that regard to where I'm, you know, the cult follower of the uh-huh. franchise. But right. I, I definitely have the connection to how these first movies worked on me as whodunits. And that's kind of sparked my love for the whodunit genre. And we've talked about it. The whodunit slasher, which is a rare breed that essentially Scream franchised. They franchised something that's never worked anywhere else other than what? Happy Death Day and... You know, Agatha so, Christie novels, yeah. Ag- yeah, but that's the Who Done It Slasher. There's one slash right. in an Agatha, Agatha Christie <laughs> novel, and then they sip tea the rest of the film. It was always the problem I had with Agatha Christie. Not enough blood, you know? <laughs> Not enough slashing. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's the thing. Like, Scream. They perfected the art of this, and I did not expect them to get me on this this watch because I've I've been really good at guessing endings and i you know i don't mean to pat myself on the back too much in this podcast but uh i can't in this episode so regardless of uh this setup they had me guessing for two hours i did not expect it and on my first watch that was half the fun so here's the part where you tell me i'm stupid did you did were you guessing or were you like nope that's it and and then you stuck to it did you guess it ah uh. Do I want to sound like a jerk or so (laughs) part? One of the things I that left a bad taste in my mouth after the first watch. Yeah. Was that I felt it was too obvious when they did a reveal. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I knew it all along. It's just that when you're watching this, no. So, yes, I was guessing all along. And no, I did not know who it was. But it was one of those things where it's like, oh, that's that's what they did, huh? But it makes it a lot. Of, again, if you go back and rewatch it, there's a, a lot more into it that you pick up. So I think there there is a fruitful rewatch. And I, when my rewatch was all 
concentrating on character arc and characterization of how all these different characters, which is another, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult thing to introduce not only new characters, a boatload of new characters, but a boatload of new characters that you have no attachment or information about. I mean, at least in the original screen back in 96, you had archetypes. So you didn't, it didn't really mm-hmm. matter who Billy Loomis was. You just knew he was the sexually repressed boyfriend. It didn't really matter who Randy Meeks was. You just knew he was the theater nerd and the movie nerd, you know? It didn't really matter what, what Sidney Prescott has had for her backstory. She was the final girl in a horror right. movie. And the, the subversion was what made Scream what it was. This one, you don't have that to rely on. Because They're pushing it's already, back. It's already been done to death. Yeah. Exactly. So they had to like make you care about these characters. And I think they did a, a really damn good job as well as could have been expected. So yeah, I was, I was invested from the get go. I, I think I fell in love with a lot of these characters and that that's at the end of the day, if you're able to do that in any kind of storytelling endeavor, you have me. And right. that's why like the plot is secondary almost to me. I, I still think like I, I delighted in some, uh, reveals, I, I would say, but there's not plot holes, but there's some limits of plausibility where this plot is pushed to the brink of that. Yes, yes, but, <laughs> in a way. but again, on rewatch, I think I, and I'm going to set touch on this in spoilers, mm-hmm. because I'm biased as well, and I want this to, to make sense, I think I've talked myself into why that could make sense for some of these character motivations, and I think putting the movie in Woodsboro like it did, which isn't a spoiler, you can see that in the trailer, helps a lot. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, because I'm still a little shaky on a few things, uh, but I, 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 I'm glad to hear you defending this movie more upon rewatch. That makes me feel good. Mm. Uh, there was a deep level of satisfaction to each viewing, though, that I think is just... That's something like I I cannot shake. That's probably why I was so in your face about it last episode where I was like, <laughs> this move, there's no way. Like, if you dislike this movie, I dislike you. It was getting to that level. <laughs> and and you know, at, after rewatches, I've softened that stance a little bit. Like, look, this, this movie is flawed. There's some flawed issues with it after watching thousands of films in the last five years with each other. God help us. We, we get that now, but... The story delivers, and it, it keeps the main thing the main thing in many a case. Characterization, we love these characters. The whodunit works, the horror works, the comedy works, and there's a lot of main things. But this movie managed the impossible, Mike. It managed to be that reboot sequel remake, much as we expected it could be and hoped it would be. And there are scares, laughs, laughs, thrills, and dramatic goods delivered towards each of those three main objectives. I watched uh, Chris Stuckman's review on YouTube, and he dropped the term rebootquel himself. And he yeah. actually followed that up by saying he's been saying it for a while on his YouTube channel. And I don't follow him by all the way, that closely. Yeah. Don't watch that review if you don't want to get spoiled. Like, I, I mean, maybe we said some shit that you'll guess stuff, but like he like blatantly says things at the beginning of that review that spoil the movie and it's supposed to be spoiler free yeah and i don't i mean i i don't i i respect chris and and what his his base and all that and me too that's why i watch him but yeah yeah, i i don't follow him that closely but i know his platform is huge so i'm just going to irresponsibly claim that he stole rebootable from (laughs) us with no evidence whatsoever i cannot with 100 percent certainty claim that i didn't steal it from him or did you start saying that i that's the thing like we don't know where like if you guys are confused about who's mike one and mike two so are we still all that being said it's still a rare achievement 
that a movie can be all these things. That's why we're so high on on Halloween in 2018, Mike. Yeah. And there's just been so few movies to make this genre fusion work. Happy Death Day is one of them. You're next almost. But like we've seen so many Club Dread. Again, they have their charms. Club Dread, Hubie Halloween. And I don't think you can include Clue or Knives Out in the slasher genre necessarily. Even no, though but I certainly think the whodunit. Right. They haven't melded these slasher and whodunit genres very well in the past few years werewolves within the wolf of snow mm-hmm. hollow may be the closest uh that i've seen but they're obviously in their own werewolf subgenre of the last two years so I- i'm just really thrilled that they did what i hope they would do and they balanced the tone of this and they they kind of achieved the high degree of difficulty premise there's a lot of people saying oh this is the best scream movie since scream one that's totally up, obviously subjective and up to your taste. This is the most like Scream One movie yeah. that we've gotten since Scream One for Scream for any Scream movie, without question. Uh, yeah, I, th- I agree with that. Uh, let's dive into performances for a second, but only a second because I don't really want to praise too many people. I think the two people you're going to praise right now are is appropriate without giving too much away. But if I praise the people I really, really want to praise the most. I will spoil the movie. So I'm just going to say <laughs> breakout stars in this movie. Like that, my star, uh, you know, O-meter is, is on high alert here. It's, it's you know, going to 11. It's in the red, whatever you want to call it, because I think these people are going to blow up after this. So I'm thrilled with young Hollywood. I'm thrilled yeah. with the entire ensemble. And in my mind, <laughs> sorry, Mike, this is the best acted Scream movie yet. By wow. far. By far. <laughs> Look, you can, the best. you're entitled to your wrong opinion. They're all perfectly performed. And, uh, no, look, I agree with you. I quite frankly do. And I look, I'm not trying to give anything away. I think this might be David Arquette's best performance of his like yeah. career, period. He was terrific. Uh, he's really good in this. And Studying for my him money, on rewatch. Oh. He's, he's unbelievable. And if what's really endearing is if you watch any of the cast interviews, the OG3 speak so glowingly about all the kids and talk about their professionalism and how they didn't care what obstacles were in front of them. They would have shot all day if they could and how they were overprepared. And like David Arquette was like, I was by far the most inappropriate and immature one on set, including all these young kids that were around. (laughs) And it's just like, it's really endearing. But I think that you can see that on the screen as well. And look, yes, I think there are a couple stars here for my money. If Mason Gooding and Mikey Madison aren't huge movie stars in the next few years, I will be quite surprised. Quite surprised. Who's the famous uh, TV painter that they just had the Netflix documentary on? Bob Ross. Bob Ross. So apparently David Arquette is a Bob Ross, you know, certified painting teacher. And in between takes, because you got to wait hours for Mm -hmm. some of these setups, he was teaching the kids how to paint like Bob Ross. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first piece of trivia I read on on IMDb there. And I just thought that was, that's perfect. That's yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I have no, you could be lying to me, but I'd be like, yeah, no, that I get that. I see. I read it on the internet. I hope it's true. And it it just widens. uh, Of course. That makes David Arquette's a Bob Ross fanatic. That makes sense. That checks out. That's right. Um, But yes, David Arquette, uh, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox. I thought all three did a terrific job. So yes, let's praise the legacy characters. Let's praise the young ensemble, young Hollywood there. We'll come back to it in spoilers. Production values. Again, I can't, I don't want to just say it's editing. It's 
the cinematography, the mise-en-scene. Mise-en-scene. There are some whoop-ass action sequences, some crazy-ass kills, some iconic ghost face stuff to just levels of awesome that they have not yet achieved. I mean, it's bloody, it's nasty, it's gory, but it's also like, I mean, it's it's also on the next level in terms of being balletic and really well choreographed yeah. in terms of the physical spectacles. We have another case where uh, we got great athletes in these roles. Yeah, I- good I'm point. I'm thrilled. We watched a movie is another YouTube channel I check out occasionally. They're a horror-based channel, and they uh, made the point of saying they're going to do their top 10 kills in the Scream franchise, and some of these kills in this movie are definitely going to be on that list, and I think that's as apt a way to put how I feel about some of these sequences as anything. I do genuinely think some of the best, just most gnarly and most creative kills are in this movie, which is what you come to a slasher for, right? I mean, you, you, if you're, you hang around the slasher genre too long, the kills end up kind of losing their way and you have to get more creative and that turns into more comedic than it is scary. These are like scary, scary kills. I feel like this is like back to basics type stuff. And that's part of the reason I say this is the most like the first screen movie out of any of the sequels thus far, but not only are the kills cool, uh, some of the best meta commentary of the entire franchise are in this fifth installment as well. And, we talked about in our uh, MMO Screams miniseries how the themes of 1, 3, and 4 specifically, yeah. those plots had themes, relied on themes that were kind of ahead of their time. I think this could be a plot that's and motivations that's ahead of its time as well uh, wow. within the next half a decade, decade. That That's high praise, and that's, again, you know, high degree of difficulty, which we always mm-hmm. praise on this show because we're like the Nostradamuses of uh the space i guess i mean i can't <laughs> the I mean, put that, i'm just gonna keep putting stuff uh that could be on posters for us i'm just gonna keep <laughs> testing out catchphrases and see hopefully someone like that connor for real from the pop star movie like right? right. you went with all catchphrases for that feature verse <laughs> <laughs> exactly I'm right. just, we're still we're still branding we're always branding <laughs> never stop never stopping in terms of branding michael I was hesitant to even put this in, but I kind of want to rank them. Can can you rank oh, them? Is it too early? Like, I kind of know where I'm at. I know where I'm at with these movies. I, I think regardless of where, where my favorites are, in terms of the best movies, this is my truth. Scream 1 is the best. Scream 2022 is the second best movie, I think. The best made movie. And again, you know, Craven still tops, mm-hmm. but I think Radio Silence just made the second best scream out of this franchise in terms of, you know, uh, the uh, this one Oscar pundit's opinion. I want so badly to disagree with you because I think it's good radio. Mm. Uh, I, I'm so cognizant. I'm always I always feel like I'm a prisoner of recency bias and I always speak hyperbolically about like, you know when I'm breathing anyway. So that's just kind of my lane. <laughs> but I, 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 I struggle to like, I want to put scream two as number two, but I can't, this is really good. This movie's really, really good. And it's a great entry into the scream franchise. It's like, I, I get the same vibe from this as I did from David Gordon Green's Halloween. It's like, Oh, you, it's yeah. a reason to care again. It's a reason to be reinvested. So yeah, I, I can't really argue with you. I, I, I guess I would still have scream one as number one. I don't know if that's, I mean, that was the blueprint, right? I think right. if, if the OG, you got to go with that first because that was their first. 
But this had its own blueprint in its own way, and so yeah, I'll, I'll go one, five, two, I guess three. And I didn't realize I was this down on four before we rewatched it for this miniseries, but I, I'm not happy about four. So, as much hyperbolic language as I as I love, and I, I agree with you in terms of the best, but I think favorite is another conversation. So I would agree with your your top five in terms of best favorite screams. It's much harder. Like I think I love two. Two is my so favorite. much. Two raised. Two is my babysit. Like two is my yeah. my older sibling. So I, I I know I studied one the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably still putting one there out of reverence, even though it's a favorite category. Right. I, but two is next up, and then five, and then three, four. I would say. But five still comes I'm in at. before three and four for you. Five comes in before three and four, and yeah, I mean, go back and listen to our episode two of this miniseries. I think I, think I might it, be two five one for my favorites. I mean, I, I really, I didn't expect to like this movie as, especially, you know how I am with expectations, especially well, when people pre-hype me, but again, that could be recency how bias. How dare they pre-hype you? Yeah. All of you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But I, 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 I reserve the right to, to go back and edit that because I, I do fear I might be doing some recency bias, but uh, Hey man, Let's get into it. Let's get into the ins and outs of this plot. Let's talk Let's about some spoilers. This is a good place for a spoiler warning. All spoilers all the time for Scream 2022 from this point out. If you've been listening to the MMO miniseries, we've had some uh, rather fun and some cleverly named segments. We're going to keep that going forward. This entry for Scream 2022 we will start with Who's There, where we discuss the innovative Act 1 setups, Mike. So Tara, Jenny Ortega's Tara Carpenter, she gets the call. Is there any reason for her to have survived this? I loved it, though. I absolutely loved it. I could not have been the plan of the killers. Could it have been, Michael? So it was certainly a subversion of expectation, which clearly Radio Silence used as a pillar of this storytelling. And I like the mm-hmm. nod to Ryan Johnson, the episode eight, stab eight, knives, knives out, out director. Guy. Like, that was beautiful. <laughs> There's a lot of little Easter eggs like that in this. We're in full spoiler mode, so I'm going to say I believe that person stabbing Tara was Amber. Yes. I'm okay. I didn't like it at first, but I like that the cops at least mean something. You know what I mean? And you could hear the sirens. You knew 911 was called. You could hear the sirens blaring. I think you could even see the lights if memory serves. So that means that Amber probably had to get the hell out of there, Mm -hmm. which, okay. I mean, if Tara survived... Was it the plan? If you, if you believe Richie, it was, because that was the only way to get Sam back to Woodsboro, which I don't quite follow, but okay, I'm willing to submit to that. But She would have come back for the funeral, though, Right, exa- that's exactly, exactly, exactly what I was thinking. So, did she have to survive? Yeah, obviously, it sets up nicely for the sequels, where, like, you have these two sisters now who could... I saw someone say out there that they don't need Sidney Prescott going forward, and my reaction was, yeah, how, yeah, yeah the fuck you do. <laughs> it, it better be Sydney going. As long as Sydney's alive, she better be going forward. But I understand you have these sisters now that can carry the franchise. I, I was thrilled with this performance, number one, by Jenny Ortega. I thought she Very was. Very good. Yeah, she was She phenomenal. was tip-top. I know she's going to be in some A24 movies coming out. Mm-hmm. She's only like 19 years old, so she's actually oh, wow. really young in this in this scene so 
you're relating to her all the more in the, in the sense that you don't want her to die. She looks like a baby on screen. Yeah. So yeah. that's the difference. Like you cast somebody who's actually age appropriate and you're like, oh my God, she better survive. So that's part of it. Like you're just immediately protective of a kid in that scene in a way. But I, the other part of it, she had, she essentially beats the, in a, in a very positive, she's so resourceful. She beats Ghostface in that scene, even though Ghostface is her best friend, totally effing with her to death. I mean, it, Amber, it was uh, like, forget the clone cell phone thing, right? I mean, it was just Amber. Right. But I'll tell you what, when they, <laughs> in an homage to Scream 3, they threw that in there and be like, mm. they made a copy of the cell phone. It was a clone cell phone. And sure as shit, Mike One lapped it right up like a dog. Like, yep, yeah. clone yeah. cell no, phone. I, you could you could tell me anything, and if you end it with cloned cell phone, I'll, I'd know shit all about how cell phones even work. So I'm like, oh, yeah, they probably cloned that cell phone. That's what happened. 100% cloned <laughs> cell phone. We, we should use that as a catch-all uh, in, in terms of rationalizations going forward. But It will never look, not I mean, work with me. Yeah, Mr. Jackson, the, the voice work here is okay. on another level how long it took him to build into the reveal of who he is and and how well they worked all the exposition in that scene. I mean, you you get reminded of all the legacy characters. You get reminded of the, uh, I mean, Stu and Billy, for Christ's sake. It's fun that we've gotten to a point where we can, the Scream franchise is able to wax poetic in-universe about itself because of the Stab movies. <laughs> Absolutely. Scream has become this pillar of horror and this franchise, this icon of horror in and of itself that we don't have to reference Nightmare on Elm Street like we did in 1996. We have 25 years <laughs> later. Now, I will say, frustratingly, you're going to tell me you're a teenager that's been raised in Woodsboro, Tara, and you don't know that Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker, I don't care about the stab movies, you don't know that Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker were a package deal for those killings? Her favorite movie is The Babadook. <laughs> yeah, no, you probably do. You probably do. But it's 40 years later, maybe. I don't know. How how, how long ago was it? Uh, 25? Oh, I guess it could. Wait, how old are years? 20, but still, like, you know. If so. Once I'm out of the demo, I don't even care how old I am. That's what you learn. No, it's the stew teaser at the end of it. That was a dirty trick, wasn't yes. it? Were, were you thinking like, oh, this a is thousand so percent? And not only TV that, face, not only that, back. but they when they're in the car, when Richie and Sam are in the car going back to Woodsboro, they yeah. say what Billy Loomis and his friend cut up all. And I thought they were like trying to get you focus on Billy, focus on Billy, focus on Billy, and then we're gonna bring Stu back, and that's gonna be the big twist. I was fixated on him forcing that plot line to work by the end of it, mm -hmm. the whole movie. Mm -hmm. I, I kept that open as a possibility the entire film where Stu would just come out of the uh, walls or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Same here. Same here. So I don't know if they're going to keep that hope alive going forward. But the other innovative setup in the kind of, you know, couple scenes later is Samantha. So we meet Tara's sister, Samantha, after you know the cute little outside so they're late 20s early 30s both actors are in their early 30s uh mr uh, jack quaid son of meg ryan and uh, dennis quaid by the way how's that for a joke sydney's saying that she wanted her life to be like a meg ryan movie and then she's getting attacked by the son of meg ryan in real life who gets cast as the <laughs> killer in screen five. attacked by the son of the actress who gave us kate and leopold <laughs> Which I'll reference again. That's the first of two Kate and of Leopold course. references of course. today. Uh, but so Samantha is haunted by Billy Loomis because she is his 
illegitimate daughter. And he breaks her balls about taking antipsychotic pills, quote, they're not working like they used to, huh, Sam? And oh my God, what a terrific performance by Skeet Ulrich making this effing what we didn't want from the beginning you know, family tree nonsense mm-hmm. somehow work. Like we didn't need that. Right. We well, don't it's the ultimate that, subversion, it isn't it? I mean, we talked about Stu coming back. I talked about Kirby coming back. Everybody thought that, you know, Dewey and Gail are going to come back for sure. We knew that. And then nobody thought Billy Loomis was coming back. Cause how, cause we watched Billy Loomis how? die in front of us. Of course. So he, the, that was a really innovative way to bring him back. I loved it. I did not see it coming. There's no way Martin Scorsese ever watches this movie, but if he, <laughs> he's going to be furious if he does, right? Because they did de-aging so much better for Skeet Ulrich here than the Irishman did, no? I think Skeet still looks pretty good. That's probably the oh, case. Oh, he looks great. He looks, he looks incredible. And I would also like <laughs> to have a top much. lip off, a top lip off between <laughs> Billy Loomis looking in the rearview mirror here in this movie and Henry Cavill trying to hide his mustache for Justice League because something's oh. off on both of those. Okay, so that's where the uh, visual effects come in. Otherwise, I was just going to say, they used a different filter. That's all you need, man. <laughs> well, they. I watched uh, Jamie Kennedy apparently has a YouTube channel. That's news to me. But I watched his first reaction to Scream, um, and he revealed that he, Matthew Lillard, and Skeet Ulrich all have the same agent. And they were all at a con last July, and they yeah. all were hanging out afterwards. And Matthew Lillard and Skeet were, like, hinting to him that they were being involved in the new Scream. And somebody said something about de-aging, and that's when... Uh, 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 Jamie Kennedy spoke up. I was like, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything. That's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even want to know right. about the franchise that spawned one of his biggest hits. Right. He doesn't. He, wow. That is great because he wants to experience it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, again, I'm, I'm relating to the film critic slash YouTube personality in this, <laughs> this <laughs> thing here. But yeah, that's, so that's the, the, the other takeaway from that nugget is, do you think Matthew Lillard filmed scenes for this that we'll find out later and they almost tried to jam him in or they for whatever reason because they apparently they wrote scripts for the actors where they had like five different endings oh did they because i know they did that in in previous screens they did that for this one as well huh was lillard one of the endings and maybe did they film him doing something there's so many little things in this movie that open leave open the possibility to go in a billion directions and bring back more characters like if Stu is back in scream six are you going to be shocked no i don't think so i mean i i don't think it'll be a surprise i'm sure in the way they handle it because these guys are that good at filmmaking and storytelling but like I will not be surprised if they reintroduce to look. I mean, if you blinked and you missed it, Kirby's still alive. They made mention that Kirby is alive in this universe. Unbelievable. So I, I can't believe it. I, Hayden Pantatier could come back in any time. Right. I think a world of fans would be happy because she was one of the best characters in Scream Four. But I'm shocked. I, I'm shocked on the one hand going into this movie because it used to be, you know, a stab in the belly. That would. <laughs> That would be more consequential. Whereas in this film, <laughs> you remember, you remember when Tony Soprano got shot in the stomach, and it led to like this three-episode coma arc. <laughs> now we got Spider-Man's getting stabbed through the like you know yeah. chest. Yeah, the tor- yeah. Again, I'm not spoiling. It. I can say who, but Jesus, you know, and you got friggin' you know every single one of these main characters just getting stabbed in the stomach and they just you know just put an ace bandage on it's it it's just a flesh wound 
literally is just a flesh wound. You're right. Look, I, I think uh, I want to do a let's play a game, Mike, but I don't know if we necessarily need to take it as seriously as a quiz because yeah, I no. kind of know. Well, I'm, I'm going to there's a couple things I'm going to ruminate on these with you. So I'm going to kind of be playing along with you because I don't know that we have I've saw I watched a couple videos. I don't know that I necessarily agree with everything. And the videos don't all agree with each other anyway. There's some conflicting stuff out there. But I counted eight deaths, which is the okay. under of our over-under yeah. at 11, which I was surprised to see. We both bet the over. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I didn't feel cheated by the action. I thought there was plenty of, of kills. I thought there may have even been too many. Like, that one, I know they kind of threw him in, but the creepy guy who ended up being related to Stu Mocker, who was <laughs> yeah. just there for two scenes and then stabbed in the neck, I, I could have done away with that. I don't know that that was necessary. It was a nice little misdirect. Well, he was the first actual kill, and we had a couple attempted murders, obviously, before oh, yeah, one right, attempted right, murder right. before him with Tara. So we'll, we'll talk about attempted murders as well. We, we said that was Amber because apparently, you know, uh, Richie was with Samantha that night, right? I mean, that's how I believe it to be. And it would make sense that Rich, Amber had that video on her phone already of her hmm. and Richie practicing or whatever, like... Right. I saw somebody out there say that it had to be Richie who was there because he was taping Amber, but it's like there's no proof that that wasn't a pre-recorded tape uh, video. I think it was Amber. I think uh, I think she was conveniently attacking shorter people the whole time. So the, who, with the exception of maybe Dewey, but I don't even know how tall David Arquette is. But regardless, we'll get there. I like that. I like that line of thinking. On rewatch, I was all ready to say, no, they played a dirty trick on me. I'm looking at all the tall people as suspects, and I'm 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 counting out the short people. They did, by because height. obviously obviously the actors themselves aren't the ones in the go- They have stunt people playing Ghostface when the kills happen. Right. So it's but not, you know. Tara's teeny tiny, and Vince Snyder, who Amber kills, Kyle Gallner, is teeny tiny. Uh, Stu's mom's stepson. Stu's Sue's sister's stepson? son anyway the stalker of Liv, who's a tall girl who again you know and he gets that you know peekaboo neck right. after the after the big silhouette scene against the the, the wall and the, the lights and the music the obviously the iconic nick cave uh, and i forget the name of the band you, do you probably know it by heart I do not actually. I do not. Wow. I, I looked at the soundtrack. I don't know any of these bands. I'm so. I'm. Well, just this old. is the arc. This is the original. Oh, the song. red right hand. The red. I'm sorry. Red right yes. hand. Yeah, the red right hand. I I don't know the name of the band, but I know the song. Obviously, I thought that it's was like cute. Nick oh, Cave and the Bad Sons or yeah. something like that. Oh my God, red right hand. I'm gonna Google this. <laughs> but so you think Amber was the one who killed Vince on the outside of the pub? The Bad Seeds, Nick and go. the Bad Seeds. Nick so I think Amber seeds. killed Vince on the outside of the pub. Yes. So where was Richie during that time? Richie was at the hospital already? Sleeping? Richie? uh... Yeah, right? No, he wasn't there yet. I don't think. Oh, they hadn't arrived in Woodsboro yet. Well, this is the other dirty trick they played. By introducing Sam and Richie in wherever, Modesto, California, I think it was, we obviously have no clue how far Modesto is from Woodsboro on account of Woodsboro is fake. (laughs) <laughs> it, it's all no Northern California by the zip codes involved, right. 707. But it's like, it could be like, it's a long stretch of land up there. Right. That so, and that's, that's, why I tend to, that's why I tend to think it was Area Amber, code, excuse me. Amber attacking Tara in the opening because, I mean, I don't know how far, I, I doubt it's just a 20-minute drive 
Like, you're, you're going to tell me Sam did this big, dramatic exit of her family when she was 18 and she went two towns over 20 minutes up the road? And they were never able to contact her or, be, like, find her? I don't believe that. It has to be a, a, a bit of a significant distance, no? It has to be some kind of distance. I think we'll get into it later because yeah. there's, like, some day-night continuity or night day yeah. yep uh, yep you're right because we're judging by where uh, sydney's coming from yeah we're, mm-hmm. we're getting in deep here guys we, we can't <laughs> do anything but uh so samantha and richie get to the hospital and samantha is attacked almost immediately in you know an iconic shout out back to scream 2 where she's like come and get me and he's with, like, pleasure. with pleasure oh yeah. yeah just give me that mm-hmm. give me that voice mm-hmm. Always uh, call back to Ghostface attacking Sydney at the sorority. And it was a pretty awesome fight immediately with uh, Samantha and Ghostface for a brief one. She gets out and Officer Tam is there uh, to kind of, you know, kind of turn the lights back on after coming up from the basement sort of thing. So you believe it was Richie who attacked Sam at the hospital? Yeah, he's throwing tables. He's tall, though. That's the thing. Yeah. She's tall and he's tall. No, we agree so far. I'm with you. And it makes sense that Amber was the one who killed uh, Vince outside the pub, too, because they were just kicked out of the bar. Amber could have, you know, gone around the corner, put the ghost face get up on. That makes sense. I'm with you so far. We agree. Yeah. So that's where we're at with the first three. Uh, So the next two kills happens after the big, and we'll go over it with Dewey, after the big sit down where Mindy goes through the requel rules. We're getting there. But. Let's just talk about the kills here. Sheriff Judy Hicks and Wes Hicks. I think this is Richie, and I think this is Richie because Mindy just says they shouldn't do it. Like, nobody cares about the characters from the sequels. Oh, interesting. So this is him just killing time before his pizza, just going after (laughs) Sheriff Judy and Wes Hicks, uh, the 26-year-old high school actor's uh, son there. Look, I don't know how strong... Uh, uh, Amber is, but Wes Hicks is cut and he's a muscular dude and Ghostface has to power that knife through his defenses to get it through his neck and poking out the other side, which is one of the gnarliest kills of the whole thing. Gnarly. I, that that has to be Richie to me. It's tall. He double, he double hands it. Right. She, she'll, I think she'll use that double fist move later on. I think she used it maybe against uh, against Tara. I don't remember. It, it felt like a, a, a Richie kill, but yeah. it, and it was a tall ghost face, I think. I don't okay. remember. We're there. It could We're... have been either. I, I And you think Richie did both murders. You don't think they were both at the house? I guess they both could have been at the house. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was fun to hear them kind of go back and forth on their alibis and break I each other's that. ball. Come on, Netflix, back at the hospital. We didn't get that. any follow-up with them because they were kind of like, quote unquote, laughed off the list. We laughed. Well, again, that's, that's joke away the obvious objections. This and that's kind of, that's what I was a little disappointed with, too, because it was like it was so like that's such a trope. Right. Like if anyone was going to be the killers, if I still don't know, it's going to be the people that we were forced to laugh off and not take seriously. Dude, in the episode, I was like, it's not Richie. It's not Jack right. yeah. because I've <laughs> right. seen him murder people on the boys. And it's not Mikey Madison's because we just saw her play one of the Manson family. Right. Murders. <laughs> so it's not those two because they're the most obvious to do it. And it was ingenious to give us the two most obvious picks, which is what the freaking first movie yeah. did. Right. And they so we, we said it. Again. Yeah. 
Like, if you replay the same trick on us, that's going to get us the Mm -hmm. most. We set it. We set ourselves up, and yet we still didn't guess it. We're idiots. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right on all counts. We got it in one. (laughs) He got it in one. (laughs) (laughs) So, moving on, we have the police guard back at the hospital as as day turns into night. Uh, Tara sees him freshly killed, which is even scarier, right? Mm -hmm. He's bleeding out. Right. And then Dewey, Samantha come at the last second. I be, she is bleeding all over the place. I mean, she really was a pincushion in this movie, poor Tara. And she could barely move. And Ghostface is just stalking her down. This is apparently Amber because Amber takes credit for the Dewey murder later. However, you think both of them are there. Well, we know Richie's at the hospital. Because when Tara hears somebody opening doors and stuff, she attacks, she throws the phone, and she hits Richie. There's the fake kill of, not fake kill, but, so Richie is kind of crossed off the list because he gets slashed there. So you're right. All right. So this has to be Amber. So I Dewey no was 100% Amber because Amber says that 100%. line to, to, to Gail at the end. He died like a pussy. And, and she also, by the way, when she's on the phone with Sam, she mm-hmm. says... Pick between your boyfriend or your sister. If you if you let your sister die, I'll make sure to hit all the organs I missed last time, which means Amber was the one who did attack Tara in the opening scene. Right. In the opening. Um, I oh. think the the cop might have been Richie, though, because Richie... Do, does anyone buy that Sam called Richie to make him go to the hospital? And if Richie was the one who killed the Hickses, he would have had to have been at the Hicks house, committed those murders, fled, gone somewhere, gotten the call from Samantha to go to the hospital at that point. Yeah. In my mind, he would have had to, because we see how long it takes for Samantha to go from the Hicks house to the hospital. We see it go from afternoon, dusk to nighttime. Richie would have had to have just gone from the Hicks house straight to the hospital, I think. Which means well, to me, to, I think it makes sense that he was the one who killed the, the security guard. To play Watson to your homes here... I think he's the type of person who orders a full pizza, but he's not big enough to eat a full pizza. Like, you and I, we'll eat most of a full pizza, like if we're hungry. Mm-hmm. And he's just fresh off of murder lust. Right. So that that builds an appetite. But he's still too skinny. He's not going to eat that whole pizza. That's true. The man, he's 30, and he's still that skinny. There's no way he's housing that entire And what's the pizza. timeline there? Wait a minute. So this is bringing up a, a, a totally different question. So he was eating the pizza in the hotel room when Samantha called him to go to the hospital? Watch, Yeah, watching YouTube videos on Stab So what eight. the hell's the timeline then? So he went to the Hicks house, got back to the hotel room, or he must have ordered that pizza before he killed Judy Hicks. That's got to be cold pizza. So all the more reason why you're not housing it. <laughs> there, here to forthwith... That doesn't work there. But he he didn't eat the full pizza. He is a murderer. I rest my case. What's yeah. what's happening? Where are we? No, we're good. <laughs> we're solving this. I, we're how this is Dewey not in full zombie apocalypse mode shooting heads at this point in his life? How, like, how oh, is that possible? You're right, but three? it was so badass, wasn't it? It was. Dewey, it, who it really, gives a fuck? I do. <laughs> it's the best scene. Maybe the best scene of the movie. Second best scene of the movie. So good. It, so it, good. It, heartbreaking, like tear down one tear down my cheek. It, I'm it, surprised we didn't get the uh, the sprawled out overhead shot of him, you know, with his arm stretched out, that Scorsese type thing, nailed to the cross when you finally kill a big character. 
But I tell you, I wanted to see his courage on full display, and that was as badass a walk yet. I mean, and he put he threw Amber around the room, so he beat her. Yeah. So it wasn't like you know we're we're pretending that Amber is tossing him around necessarily. A you know a police officer of how many years? She's just a kid. Maybe she's a gymnast or some shit. But I, I mean, she. She loses the battle, but she's got the bulletproof vest on, which will come in handy for her later, I guess. And his love for Gail is what does him into like, uh, oh, she get yes, he got the phone, the phone call. call is what made we, him hesitate. We always knew she would kill him, right? She would be the death. So of him. you, you are, you thought he might survive. Like you said in our last episode, he was dead. But you said in your notes here that you thought that they had provided enough plot armor for Dewey to make it out alive. He was in the Obi Wan mentor hero role. It just in terms of the screenwriting, that role typically dies. And it plus he was engaged first. So I just saw like I saw him going down pretty much like as if he's engaged in act one or early act two, I was like, all right, mid movie, he's dead. But and when Gail right. when Gail confronts Dewey and they have their reuniting for the first time in however many years, you thought he might make it out? Yeah, I know we're kind of yeah we could jump on that. I think uh, I know I'm jumping ahead a little on you, but yeah, I think I was hopeful they'd have more scenes together. Me too. Me but too. once once we kind of once we kind of got away from them, obviously when when they went back and he when he decided to go with her heroically in that regard, I was like, mm-hmm. uh oh, yeah, he's done. But but going in, I thought he was done. And it's a good catalyst to I mean, it, if anything's going to get Sydney out of hiding, it's going to be the death of Dewey. So Sydney comes back to the hospital. Samantha and Tara is finally ready to leave again after she probably gets sewn up again uh, overnight. I guess I, I had a worse scene later, but I think it. I think a night passed. Yes. for Sydney to get there, so she's in driving distance. I guess. So we go to scene one eighteen Redux in a way, and <laughs> we have Chad Meeks Martin and Mindy Meeks Martin, the mm-hmm. Randy surrogates of this plot. So, the attempted murder on Chad, after the live Chad, which was kind of funny, kind of spat. Yep. We have Chad going out and the cool little, you know, app, the -hmm. the GPS app there. Find my fam. He's an awesome character. He's smart. He takes a weapon (laughs) from his sister. They're kind of, you know, winking at us the whole time. And he he gets stabbed in the leg, and then he gets hunted down with those lights saving him again. We probably should have known he was going to get saved because the you know they didn't finish the job. Yeah, I got annoyed at first. I texted you. I was like, "Way too many people survived," mm. but you know, a lot of people did survive. Scream one, two, Dewey, Gale, Sydney, right. Randy. If they're so, the Randy, right? Yeah, exactly. Randy survives exactly. So they'll be dead on the next movie. But uh, <laughs> Mindy got shouldered though too. Next. Right, and th- so the the Chad attack had to have been Amber. It right. had because I believe uh, Richie was driving Sam. Yeah, and, had to be. Right, so that had to be Amber, and I think we both think the Mindy attack was Richie because he just did the "I'll be right back" going to the basement, and then he turns the corner and Ghostface is there. Because I think Tara, or I think I think uh, Amber was with Tara. Amber was right? with Tara, right? Correct. Because Amber came rushing down, and it was the funny. Everybody rushes into the room at once, right? Like clue scene, almost mm-hmm. comically, mm-hmm. and he was the one who was like, "I'll be right back." Oh, yeah, right. Uh. <laughs> he went downstairs. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> that was funny. It really yeah. was funny. Uh, Mindy 
is watching Stab yelling at the screen for Randy to turn around while Randy watches Halloween, the the Randy of the Stab one, mm-hmm. and then the Randy of the Stab one is of course yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode to turn around. So it, was this too many mirrors, like the Memento poster kind of thing? Within the picture, within the picture, within the picture. Does the killer, like, like, why would the killer choose that moment to be as slow as the killer in the movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. just stab her. No. Just do it. <laughs> they, this is where they went a little too far in the meta-ness, I would say. <laughs> but They should have had Mindy turn around quicker. I don't need the full commentary about that scene. These are your rules, man. Like, just turn around. See the killer. Yeah. No, like, she's not going to yell at the... Yeah. I mean, she wasn't that drunk. Maybe she was that drunk. I mean, we've done shit when we were. Anyway, it's uh, <laughs> enough of that conversation. Okay, so Liv uh, McKenzie. All right, I, I learned a new word about Liv McKenzie. Uh, okay. Played by Miss Mr. Mm-hmm. What is a whoopee? I didn't know what a whoopee was. Did you know what a whoopee no was? No clue. I tried w- looking it up, and I had I got nothing. Wooby, 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 W O O B I E. Now it's like a blankie, like a for a kid. Right. I got my wooby. Okay. But I, I didn't know it was like this fandom slang, quote unquote, at yourdictionary.com. A fictional character, usually usually physically attractive, who is put under constant stre- stress and angst so as to create emotional attachment. So people were calling her a wooby. And she comes in all flustered because she just found Chad, of course. Her eyeshadow looked terrifying, by the way. She looked terrifying. absolutely terrifying in that scene. Well, she gave the iconic, probably the killer, but really not performance. Okay, and this is where I, this is what I alluded yeah. to in the non-spoiler section. I know I'm all over the place. You're going to kill me for this, but so these kids all grew up in Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's patently absurd to be in a group of high school friends with a mass killer, a serial killer going around and just casually throw out accusations to your friends, but be deadly serious about them being like, Oh, you're the killer. I know you're the serial killer. Like, yes, that is crazy to do. Crazy. I think it makes sense. If you are a teenager being raised in Woodsboro by the families who lived through these atrocities multiple times over. So that's where I give the universe building a little more of a, like, I, I had to, I yeah, came up with yeah. that on second rewatch, and I think it's me, my bias, wanting this to make sense, but I'm willing to believe, suspend my b- disbelief for that reason. I love that you're in defense mode. Full defense <laughs> mode. It is. It totally is. Shit out of this. It's, a, it's an over-rationalization to the nth degree, but I've sold myself on it. I'll allow it. Uh, why am I the judge in this situation? I don't care. But I, I do uh, agree. And I, I, I'm glad you're covering it. So we'll, you, we won't have to go through it as a worst <laughs> later on. Because some of these scenes are so contrived. Like yes. the Mindy Amber scene getting the beer downstairs. Like there's, there's the most implausible nonsense scene ever if you're thinking about this movie in just in pure, pure plot terms. Amber sure stabbed her there, right? Yeah, but it, it, it only works. It only works as just a whodunit scene, right? I mean, because otherwise Amber should have stabbed her and Mindy is just proving herself wrong. Literally, that's what she's doing. She goes down there to prove what that I mean, was it flirtation? What what was that? It makes no sense. I think. Well, no, I think it does make a little sense. No, she was trying to she's trying to be the, the Randy. So she has to make the rules, except her rules. She instead of explaining them to Dewey, she's explaining the rules to the killer. 
which makes the killer laugh in her face. She's trying to protect her friend in that instance by breaking her own rules to put herself in danger. But she's, I don't think she's breaking her rules because she went down there. How, what rule is she breaking? She went down there with her friend. She wasn't hmm. alone. I, I mean, guess. She didn't know it's that a heroic killer. No, but she's putting herself into the clutches of the killer, potentially breaking her own rules. You're right. She's, she's. Yeah, I get, what, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree. Yeah. And it would have been cooler if Amber did stab her because then you do get the that subversion of the person making the rules gets cut off by the killer right away because they're now they fell in love with the person watching the other person yell at the other person. Yeah, and right, just, you know, right. The right. triple meta joke there. The, right. the triple score. Triple word <laughs> score. All right. Uh we got a bunch of attempted murderers once the uh the legacy characters arrive. Gail Weathers shot by Amber. Uh, Samantha stabbed by Richie. We see all this, so we're not guessing. Sydney stabbed by Amber. Amber shot uh, and burned. <laughs> Jesus, again. Great job with the hand sanitizer, too, setting that up. <laughs> Gail Weathers uh, getting getting what we thought was the final blows in, but not yet. So Richie is done in by Samantha Mike in what might be the best scene of this franchise or... I might be scaring myself and or I might be scaring myself because I enjoy this scene so many times. So so I enjoy this scene every time and I might be capable of murder, I think, now because that scene was so much fun. Just kill him. Just Kate and Leopold was made by his kin. I need I need him dead. Flight of the Phoenix. I hated that movie. He deserves. I mean, I want to murder Jack Quaid in a fake scene with a knife uh i'll say fake but i I really don't mean fake. i i just i love this scene so much from the wide shot she lifts her arm so high oh my god she nails him how many times after just we wanted him so dead he's monologuing the monologuing makes it even better that we get it do we get him killed did you like the uh the last line there what about my ending i you know i i like her comeback I did Here too, and that's. I think that's clearly why they left that in because it's a great comeback if you're going to slit someone's throat. But I could have done without that line. But I am with like, look, if you entered Billy Loomis into this for that to like to make it okay for her to have that scene, it totally worked, absolutely. And goddamn, I like that again. It's just setting up a billion directions you can go with the Sam character. It, Sam could snap and be the killer in one of these, and it could just be her legacy. We clearly see she has that in her. She could go off the hinges right. and then Sydney's got to take her down. Mm-hmm. But this is like, ne- this is a torch past so much better, I-, I hate to say it, than Halloween of 2018, right? I mean, we have a whole nother crop of characters that we care about so much, especially for a scene like this with Samantha. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where I'm at. Like, I, th- you know, and Tara being the ultimate survivor, you can argue that Tara was more of the final girl than Sam. Because Sam's resistant. It's like, I, this is not my story. No, no, no. Tara was really good the point. final girl. Really good point. Really good Finishing point. Finishing yeah. the job on Amber. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, if you're, yeah. I, there's more agency given to the Sam, and, and that's that's the direction. That's what I was kind of alluding to too. Like this, this is setting up to have those sisters be the main characters in a way that Andy Matajek's character in Halloween, right, isn't because that's still Laurie Strode's story. That's building up to the unstoppable force versus the immovable object of its third chapter, right? Of the trilogy there. This is, 
in a way, kind of doing what Scream 4 was trying to do and in introducing new characters and someone to give the franchise off to. But I still stand by, if you have Sydney Prescott alive, she needs to be in Scream. I don't disagree that she needs to be in this Scream. Here's where I'll push back, though. If we just have a movie with Samantha and Tara in it next next film, like we have enough characterization to build a, a new story, especially if you work in Samantha as a murderer. Like, what if it's like some kind of Dexter thing where Tara and Samantha and Samantha becomes like this unhinged murderer? And what if she kills one of the ghost face early on and she just starts hunting him like unhinged hunting the ghost face by the end of the movie? we were going to get that as the big subversion. I thought we were going to get a reveal early in the movie, or at least earlier than the big third act bloodbath. Like I thought that basement scene was going to be a big reveal. And that we were going to do something like maybe not with someone hunting the killer or something like that. But I thought we were going to do something where the killer is revealed early. Cause I was trying to think of ways they can go, which they've never done with screen before. And I, yeah, I, think, I think that's should. on the table. I think Samantha should be the bad, should have a heel turn, but I think, you know, you can make it so that she turns good at the end of the next movie or something. But like Tara's running for her from her sister at some point, and Sydney has to calm her down at some point, neutralize her. She could survive maybe, but she might if she gets attacked one more time. <laughs> like she's already past the breaking point. We just saw her go past, and she got the taste of it now. Oh man. You can, I mean, that'd be a great story to tell, too, because we see the way Sydney evolves throughout all these attacks, and you can see that what the evolution could have on someone like Sam, and then you could have Hire this us. big, big finale, this climactic finale where they do take each other out. Radio silence. Hire us. We're not good writers, but we'll write. We'll just say shit, and you could take it. <laughs> just pay us money for what we say now anyway all right let's <laughs> we, we we actually accomplished a lot in that segment yeah we which did. i figured we would so we could kind of clean things up where we won't dive into every other segment maybe to the length that i have this google document yeah. but there are certain rules mike that one must abide in order to survive a horror movie and this is where we discuss the screen meta narratives and plot lines and like i said they did the same thing as scream one because we thought, I mean, they added all these wild cards. I mean, Samantha is a wild card. Mm-hmm. You could have the the needle drop, whatever, that moment. I forget what they called it in the Fight Club. Anyway, they, they explain what that plot structure movement is. What was your feeling? How did you take seeing Billy Loomis on screen the first time? Well, I, I was afraid of it because I'm like, oh, they're doing the family tree. This is stupid. Ah. And then I was like, no, it's badass. And look, he looks awesome. And then, oh my God, he's talking about antipsychotics not working, mm-hmm. and because she's that. Oh my God, like this is just raising the stakes immediately mm-hmm. in like the fourth scene. So I was with it. I, I was. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was in for it. So we. That all happens. It's just very efficient storytelling. Like, we get to Dewey's house where Dewey is dropping one, two, three rules after the Tatum chest on his on his dresser. But he's in rock bottom, you know, trailer park here with Gail we on his TV. Him. Yeah, I mean, it was rough. It was, it was yeah. sad to see him like that. He's, he's playing Bradley Cooper from A Star is Born, you know? He's got half-drunk bottles all yeah. over this place. He's waking up. It's getting early late right. for him. Right. And 
or it's getting late early. One of those I two yogi. Say. One of those two yogi <laughs> yogiisms. So he's he's laying out the rules, but this was cool, Mike. The fact that his rules actually pay off because Dewey's rules paid off and Mindy's rules would have been the ones that get subverted. So that was wild. We get two sets of rules here. Never trust the love interest later on. <laughs> he got it. In he one. got it in one. <laughs> the killer's motive is always connected to something in the past, which here is the stab movies. And that's why, because the past has played such a prevalent role in all of these killers. Like it, ha- they're always tied to Sydney in a way. That's why you keep. I think you need Sydney as long as she's still alive. Yes, I would not be upset with with more Sydney. However, the fa- like dive more deeper into the stab movie. Like I want to. I want to. Uh, Ross, what, what the hell's his name? Uh, David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. I want a David Schwimmer subplot of the next one. <laughs> I want David Schwimmer answering the phone <laughs> in the opening scene. Uh, that would make me so happy. Really would. So I want more stab stuff. The way they handled stab these guys, Radio Silence, was so much fun. It was even yeah. more fun than kind of they handled it in, in Scream Three, which was was a lot of fun. Uh, so this the the seek so it's just again you're you're waxing poetic on yourself your own franchise like you said which is a feat unto itself but the the first victim always has a friend group with the kid like it's very efficient storytelling with Dewey and it gives these kids a very clear framework on how to pursue the case so for amateur detectives it's really a, a cool storyline as well look for the killer there so they immediately set up a a meeting with the murderer essentially. And the fact that Dewey gets there with the theme song from, you know, whatever. From David Con Air, by the Peaks. way. That song's from Is Con Air. Uh, Wes talked about it in one of the director uh, commentaries of one of the movies. I can't remember. But they he said he never licenses, he never licenses songs, but he uh, couldn't find a song. Even Marco Beltrami couldn't come up with one that fit that Dewey character as well as that one from Con Air. So he said he did what he never does, and he licensed the song from Con Air, which makes me think these guys, Radio Silence, must have paid money to have that song included in this movie again. I love that that musical moment. With, yeah, with Dewey same. walking up to that house, that that, that gave that me song. the chills. Yeah, it really is a fun song. It feels like something David Lynchian from mm-hmm. Twin Peaks or something. But I tell you, to see Dewey proven so right on so many levels, that was what I wanted at the end of the day, and I got it. And it to justifies see- him being taken yeah. away from us. Yeah, yeah. Say so he was too right to live. And take that Gen Z. Listen to your old people <laughs> once in a while. We've been through some things. <laughs> Mindy's requel rules were also on my wish list. I wanted the reboot quill rules, Mike. I said it in the last that last episode, and she just in a epic rant. Like I, I was so hooked that I should have wrote it down. Like even after three watches, I was just I can't quote it. But sequel remakes, Jurassic Park, Terminator, Halloween, Ghostbusters. Star Wars, she references them all. The Samantha fan fiction quote, I won't bastardize it here, but it was great. Bring back legacy characters. The kills must be connected to the original, like 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 Dewey said there. The story is a classic whodunit. And she has the wrong theory that it's Samantha. And she yada yadas away the Scream sequel, the Stab sequel characters to the point where, you know, Jack Quaid... As Richie is just listening to this, he's like, oh, okay, so you're not expecting Sheriff Judy to die. Here, I'll go kill him. There is a, a twist on that, too, where Randy was just trying to come up with rules to survive. 
in Scream 1, and it seemed like Mindy was more trying to come up with rules to finger point, hmm. which is uh, very different. But Randy, even when he was having his discussions with Dewey in Scream 2, and like he was never right on who the killer was. He wasn't really, that wasn't his role. He brought up everyone as suspects, and he said everyone was a suspect, but he never fingered anyone correctly. That's a but weird the, thing to take out of context. But this uh, this is more realistic in the sense that everybody's kind of not just testing one another. Everybody's saying, no, you did it. They're well, that's – and that's – that's again, it's like that's ridiculous for 18-year-olds to react in that way and talk like that and think like that. Like so casually accuse some one of their friends of murdering <laughs> I don't know. dozens of people. I, uh, what do you uh, mean? Uh. <laughs> Listen – I overhear a lot of shit that these kids say. <laughs> yeah, look, I was it's, a scumbag in high school, and I know my group of friends, and like, yeah, we would have done it jokingly, but I would have never actually thought any of my friends were actually killers. And if they, I did, I well, certainly you would wouldn't be... be di- you would be dead. You would I wouldn't be, be chummy killed. with them about the, su- the subject of murdering. <laughs> I hear a lot of shat being spoken let's just say by the kids it doesn't like if they were in this situation would they be freaking the hell out more yeah they wouldn't they, that would that's the biggest change of this movie right. and that's why i, have I, to I don't care do mental gymnastics to be like oh right it's okay. and i don't care about your mental right. they would not deliver these lines right. so coolly like right. mindy would not have the tone she'd be freaking the hell out right but the fact that you know smart characters are reacting to other smart characters that's what this whole Who Done It Scream franchise was built on. That's what was so refreshing. We had smart horror movie characters, and that's what elevated horror. And the fact that Jordan Peele, you know, effing rocks to this day. I mean, he's got super smart characters in his horror movies that has anything but those type of characters, maybe save one role per movie. So the elevated horror was obviously a big talking point, and it was a big meta point. In this movie, but so was uh, Toxic Fandom, which, my God, how beautifully... Well, look, I, I don't know if it was the strongest motivation for the killers, but the point they were trying to make was lovely, I thought. I, I like the point at the end of the day. I wonder if it's too on the nose. I wonder if they could have gone kind of more at arm's length or layer, more layered with it, but they went right for the jugular. They're like, we're these fans... That loved all the movies and the sequels sucked, so we took it back to the original. <laughs> like it's it's one of those things where the filmmakers are very obviously making a remake, a reboot, reboot, and a sequel. But a big part of that is the nostalgia fueled remake, where we're back at the mocker's house, where we have the legacy characters, just like Mindy says. So they're they're leaning into that and. It's just like the script is showing the hypocrisy of the project and they're okay with it. So it's like this self-reflective thing. So where does that, I mean, it's just like the circular vortex of what? Oh, there's a billion layers to what they're saying with toxic fandom. Like people hold these properties so close to them that they gatekeep to a toxic degree where they are literally murdering the chances of anybody else becoming fans of them on, in an online space or message boards or what have you and they think they're doing the right thing because they are so in love with these properties but really they're doing the complete wrong thing but they don't see it as a wrong thing but everyone else can see it as a wrong thing but they're just doing it out of love and how can something that's 
love based on love be so toxic and are, are do, do you even want toxic fans but you have to placate and you have to play to the toxic fans because those are the ones that are obviously going to throw their money at this most and you have to include them in this but you still don't want them to be those gate like there's so many different layers to what this is doing that i think the conversation and the thinking about the motivation is far more intense and far more productive than it being the main motivation for why these people are the killers in this movie which is kind of a point you made about the Scream Four, yes. The whole meta commentary yeah. on, celebrity. and that's what I said. Like, I think I think this is going to have legs as we move on in the future. Like yeah. the the conversation this can bring up about the toxicity of hardcore fandom and attachment to IPs. I can absolutely see this be, being a bigger deal, especially as we get into a more meta verse in terms of what Facebook is bringing forward and like being more interactive and stuff like that. I, I, yeah, I think this is going to have legs. In the same way that celebrity of culture and celebrity obsessed culture did right. coming out of 2011, I'm hopeful that all of that is the case. I will say I'm I'm not thinking all that deeply about this movie in, in terms of those themes because the themes are kind of on the surface right now in a way. At least it's just spelling them out to me. Maybe I'll be able to study this and there are even more layers involved. I don't mm. think so. It's it, but it is stating what's happening in the text. That works when the scenes are so good and when Jack Quaid is playing it all with such relish. Like, to me, he's a star born from this movie. Like, I, he's living it up right now, and he should. He loves as, it, too. He loves be, that he was a part of this movie. On He's all over Twitter. As much shit as I gave him for being Meg Ryan. Look, <laughs> I love Meg Ryan. I love her career. And I love Dennis Quaid. I love his renaissance. I'm a big, I'm a Quaid Ryan fan, and I'm I'm a Jack Quaid fan. I, I watch, I love him in Plus One. I loved him uh, in The Boys, first two seasons. Uh, he's got a lot of ability, and for him to fool me for this whole movie and then make me delight in what was a somewhat obvious reveal. Yes. For those last 20 minutes where he's just like, I mean, he gets shot in a leg. He's funny coming down. Well, you probably shouldn't have shot me in a leg. You want me to get the, and then he, he's got the kill. And then, Oh my God, he's the perfect, like, you know, villain after that. Richie and Amber becoming unhinged. Both, both Jack Quaid and Mikey did incredible jobs of playing unhinged. She should have been featured a little bit more. That was my biggest problem with her reveal is that it was so like, it becomes so obvious on reflection that she was, she had the least characterization and the least arc out of any of the new interest introduced characters. And that I was, Oh, that left such a sour taste in my mouth. Like, God damn it. Like, no, I didn't know it was her, but I was the least surprised when she pulled the gun out. Cause I was like, ah, fuck. You really went in this direction, huh? You gave her, gave her the Mickey treatment. You introduced her to us. You kept her off screen. Yeah. You know what I'm realizing though, about the classic whodunit. And and Mindy was kind of right too. So it's almost in a way, all six rules of this movie, one kind of overlaps mm. between Mindy and, and Dewey. All, all five are proven right. And isn't that crazy? So they, they've kind of laid out five rules <laughs> between these two. So which one, are you, which one are you honing in on here? The classic whodunit, one of the oldest tricks in the classic whodunit book, is the caretakers nearest to the protagonist. Oh, uh, yeah? Become the killer. And I'm not going to spoil a dozen movies right now, but you have the caretaker of Samantha, the right. boyfriend, the doting boyfriend, and you have the doting best friend, Amber, mm-hmm. for Tara, that whole film. Good point. She has the inhaler. She's, you know, 
wow, mm. they the oldest tricks in the book, but these guys you know, are good. <laughs> Agatha Christie, eat your heart out. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point by you. <laughs> so that kind of closes. There are certain rules segment. Let's move on to the Sydney Prescott of it all. All right, we we've, we've kind of dove dove into Sydney a little bit, but number one, the Easter egg that she's married to a Mark. That has to be Mark Kincaid, McDreamy, a.k.a. Patrick Dempsey from Scream 3, Mike. I want to give you all the credit in the world for that because that did not cross my mind until I read that you wrote it. And you were the first person that I read it from. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How's Mark? I'll keep him. Yeah. That, it's got to be. That's a charged conversation between Dewey. Again, Dewey's like the worst guy to break this news to people because he has like this catch up <laughs> conversation. And he, ghost faces back, by the way. <laughs> when he sent the, <laughs> sent the, the, uh, the emoji to Gail, I probably shouldn't have sent that emoji. <laughs> uh, Sydney also kills Dewey. Can we say this much? But she's assuming he's still the sheriff. So she inadvertently kills Dewey as much as Gail inadvertently kills Dewey. And oh, I'm sure that Dewey, replay- Dewey, that was Dewey's. Dewey was going to help people. That's what Dewey is. Dewey it was just adds, the guy. It adds to the to the reason why Sydney comes back, though. Because Sydney's like, that's the last place I want to be ever. Of course I'll stay right. away. I have kids. And you're like, why the hell does Sydney come back? Shouldn't she prioritize her kids like the rest of the world? Why would she come back, risk her life? To help these people she doesn't know. Well, she knows Dewey, and she knows she kind of set Dewey up, right? Yeah, to, you could be right. All right, I'll, I'll she's bite. She's like, I'm glad, I'm glad they have you to protect them, but be safe. So she's just as awkward and clunky in that scene. I like that they're awkward and clunky in a really well-acted phone call scene. Yeah. I was surprised. Again, I think David Arquette is otherworldly in this, but I... Nev Campbell has become quite the actress herself, too, if you just compare what she did here in her. I, I was upset at how little Nev Campbell and Sidney Prescott there was. And I get it. They were sidelining the legacy characters for a reason, and they do get the yep. big win at the end, and you do get the badass scenes between her and Gail. Uh, but I want, I just wanted more Sidney in the way, same way I want more Jamie Lee Curtis in all the Halloweens. I got a lot of hugs, though, yep. which is what I wanted between Sidney and Gail. I got multiple hugs there. And. The fact that they're both there when Samantha and Tara wake up, which I, for some reason in my brain, I didn't get that that was a, a night had passed. So I had that as a worse scene, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'll take that away. Sydney puts a tracker on Richie slash Samantha's car, which is pretty slick. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, Seemed like something Gail Weathers would do. I, I loved it. Uh, Richie, <laughs> Richie is very. I I loved his reactions to Sydney. He's like in awe of her. Yes. So on rewatch yes. the performances there. And even with Dewey, he's like, yes, he's really upset that Dewey has a gun. And I should have realized he was the killer when he went to Dewey. Like, just because he showered doesn't mean he should have a gun. Mm-hmm. And then he's he doesn't blink when he's just ogling Sidney Prescott. Yep. I, I noticed that, too. And I thought those were great touches. Very, very happy to see that because that's one of my favorite things about Screen 1. I mentioned that when we reviewed that movie, how when Randy's going over the rules, you have Stu in that room just staring dead-eyed at him like, I'm going to murder the shit out of you one day. So that's why like him being the toxic fan and relishing every moment and monologuing throughout the, oh, we got to stage the bodies. (laughs) You know, it makes sense and it works and it's fun in the sickest way, the sickest way that I'm enjoying this, but... You're enjoying it as much as I am. All right, Sydney 
does a nice job of mentoring Samantha, I thought. I mean, she cut to the core of it. She Her warnings proved true in almost every instance. You can't run away from this. You got to attack them. And you have to take it tongue-in-cheek, too, because when she's like, so you're asking me to let you, some random woman, and a woman with a national <laughs> morning, news show murder someone. morning show host. And it's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's correct. Murder. <laughs> it's Commit like, murder. oh, yeah, if this was real life, there would be probably an investigation as to why Sidney Prescott ends up killing so many people, wouldn't there? <laughs> You would think, yeah. Uh, they they wouldn't just have ace bandages. <laughs> Gail probably wouldn't be go. Savannah Guthrie, you know, greeting everyone every morning at this point. Uh, all right. So I guess the big question is: we kind of already posed it. How do you want Sydney to come back in the next movie? Do you want this fight to be taken to her? Do you want this fight to continually be taken to Samantha and Tara? We've had. I mean, now we know that uh, that that Vince guy has a sister related to Stu. Now we know that Kirby's still alive. Who else could be a potential killer? We don't know who the parents of. I mean, we we didn't we did not get to meet Tara and Samantha's parents. I wonder if they could be characters involved. Is there any here? way we can link Kincaid to Samantha, Samantha and Tara's lives? Like, could he have investigated the murder of somebody in their past or like played like, because if you can, if you can bring Dempsey back and have him killed and then you can play on the Dempsey, what if the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was Patrick Dempsey being the next killer all along? He just waited to scream movie six. You didn't find me out in scream movie three. I was the most (laughs) obvious killer. I would be here for it, but you'd need to do a hell of a job to to pull it off. But I like I was just thinking if you if you really wanted this to be a true trilogy again, if you can somehow tie a character between Sydney and Samantha and then have that character either be the killer or be killed. And then you set up the how each lady internalizes what happens to them and Sydney becomes stronger and Samantha becomes more detached from reality and then you could have that go towards the big third movie where it's sydney versus sam mike i just came up with this plot they should hire they should buy this idea but now i'm putting it out into the world for (laughs) free i have no idea what you said might be might be brilliant i gave you gold too by the way but i will listen to it on on re-listen unless you want to re-explain it to me but what if it's the plot of the following following right which is what Mm -hmm. we hoped Right. At a certain point in our lives. But Samantha gets wind of it by killing the first of the cult. And Samantha hunts down each one of these followers one after another. You want this You want the, this to be Dexter. You I want, want to turn this, to this into Dexter, Dexter you but want, you I want, want Sydney Samantha, to be Jennifer Carpenter. But I want Tara to somehow get afraid and Sydney and Tara to have to stop Samantha from killing I don't all the mind killers. That. I don't mind it. I don't mind that I mean, at you all. Gotta, you got to... You got to make Samantha scary. And she, the, what Jack Quaid said comes to fruition. What Scream really needs is the villain to come back again and again. Why? Well, Samantha. It does. And it would be cool. Like, it's the Candyman's daughter. She's ruthless. She's brutal. She's bad for your teeth. Like, <laughs> the genius of Ghostface, though, yeah. is that there's no. And and it's helped with Sydney's arc and 
make make her evolve as a character. There's you're always on equal footing with Ghostface. You don't have the plan of the people who came before you that failed. Because Ghostface right. is always one of your contemporaries. It's not Michael Myers who just keeps coming back and you can try different things because you know things have failed against this one. It's always a new person. Yeah, I think that's what, kind of unique in the horror if, space. What if Samantha's killing ghost faces for a whole movie and eventually she puts on the ghost face mask at the end? Kill, and, so and, there's just a billion copycat ghost face serial killers that she's hunting well, down? Well, it's the plot of the following. So they use that as like the premise... I mean, Williamson. What's the cult based on? Use his... By Stu Mocker. He's in prison. Oh. You get that plot line, but now you're writing a whole new. A reformed Samantha's Stu finally gets out of prison and Samantha kills him, and Sydney's like too neutral and objective. It's like, oh, we've lost Sam. Right. And you got the great joke set up immediately. It's already written in where a TV falls on his head, but this TV's too thin. <laughs> and then she's got to stab the shit out of him again. She stabs <laughs> like, him through like she... the TV. <laughs> Perfect. It's already written in. There's Scream 6 and 7. You're welcome, Kevin Williams. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. We just did it. I, I'm ready. I watched my movie. This is my Scream. Please go back and listen to what I pitched you. I think you would appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the wheels returning. <laughs> Um, I don't listen to you usually anyway, but all right, we have some oozing to do. We'll finish up with the Dewey and Gale stuff. I think we want to focus on the big conversation uh, outside uh, Sheriff Judy's house, right? So what what was your reaction? Because a lot of the true fans were like in tears during this. Oh, God, were they really? I thought it was a little melodramatic for my liking. Mm. Like you're that passionate about one another still, but you don't have the balls to reach out and send each other a text. Yeah, but you're an over texter. You're not a you're not a smother all your feelings for years on end person like myself. No, and I'm blunt too. I'm just I'm very <laughs> like if I have something to say, you're going to hear it. <laughs> well, you won't, as we just demonstrated, but other people. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I just I just don't feel. I think I don't I mean, know. Did again, you, I'm, so you, this you at the end it? of this episode, I'm going to be a murderer, and you're going to be a screenwriter, and I'm going to be giving. You're the one. <laughs> The Freaky Friday. Like, I'm deadening inside. All my neuroses are showing. And and you're actually, yeah, apparently I'll, you're, you're the real screenwriting uh, part of this duo. Uh, so, all right. So that scene didn't exactly work for you. I, here's where I, where I am. I It didn't work for me on first watch. It worked better on second watch. I was able to appreciate their performances a bit more. And I, I felt like... I felt like the scene didn't go full like Walking Dead goodbye scene. Like you know when a Walking Dead character is gonna die, right? Mm, mm. Because they have these big farewell speeches to everybody. It's like they literally just settle all their <laughs> emotional debts before they get eaten by a horde of zombies. We <laughs> saw this in the first three seasons. It's one of the reasons I stopped watching The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. It's like if Carol has this speech with somebody, she's gone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this did not feel like that. It um, it was going there, but it promised another conversation that they never got. I wonder if that was the intent. I wonder if that was a subversion of expectation as well. I agree with what you're saying. But they still still went... What would have mattered? She said that would have mattered if you told me that. Like, what would have mattered? That he said he couldn't hack it and he felt like a coward for not being... He still would have had to leave. Yeah, 
I don't know. I I think I think she dedicated so many decades of her life to him in Woodsboro, and she would have understood it more. Maybe she would have compromised at that point. Maybe she wanted to compromise at that point. I don't know. They're idiots for believing in love anyway, because it doesn't exist. So that's, that's right. Yeah. He deserves his trailer park <laughs> rock bottom in the bottle, which which is a great line by the kid, by the way. And you've crawled in yes. the bottle. Yeah. Maybe you're, you're the, the killer. Because that, that cut, cut deep. Deep. <laughs> great dad joke. Um, so, all right. I think... Uh, I think the Gail Dewey scene worked just enough on me. I'm a little surprised it didn't work on you. It worked. Maybe, it worked. I just thought it was. you're not the stereotypical, you know, fan that I'm trying to group you in. You don't like to be grouped. <laughs> I know that. Don't much. fence me in. <laughs> Nobody right. puts Mike one in a corner. <laughs> uh, love the text messaging between the two of them. Like we said, yeah. love the uh, Dewey showing up as the hero. He got more than one moment. So did Gail. So did so did Dewey, even though they didn't get them all together. They crammed a bunch of stuff, but it did promise more. I, I you know, do we need the prequel on all of that stuff necessarily? I don't think so. But Sam's gotta kill Gail for this to happen, right? That's gotta be where we go with this. How afraid are you if Gail answers the phone to start gr- Scream Six? Are you thinking she's dead? Or are you thinking, no, she's going to survive because we just started this new... You God, know. it would give me Halloween Resurrection flashbacks. Like, because that... I, I almost think Gail's going to answer the phone and start Scream 6. I'm afraid. Well, it, I was thinking about that, too. Like, it has to be somebody. It can't... I guess it, I guess it could be a complete random, but, like, the most... I really like the Cotton Weary one for Scream 3, you know? Four yeah. was kind of random because they were trying to set up a reboot. One was obviously random in its own way. Nobody had attachment to Casey Becker, but that set off the franchise. Two, we learned more about them. They We learned they meant something as at least a misdirect as to having the same names as people. But, like, I feel like it's most effective if it is a character we know. Right. Well, would you think she would be dying in the in the Scream, scream 6, or would you think no? Scream kill. I thought she was going to die. Kill. I thought she was going to die on this one. Yeah. I said that going in. I'm, I'm pretty surprised Gail made it and Dewey didn't. You were adamant about that. You nailed that uh, 100%. But I I think Gail's got to be done. I think all three have to be killed at some way, shape, or form. Wow. Like, Even with Sydney's plot armor of all her kids Nev and Nev Campbell family can't and... keep coming back for these, can she? I would love <laughs> it, but... Well, that's why I'm wondering if they're going to try and go a route without Sydney and, and Gail. Because they did, like, Gail and Sydney sitting there, you know, like, I, I do feel like Gail is going to be in the next one that no matter what. That can't be their send-off. That cannot be their send-off. I don't think that's going to be their send-off, but I think that could be a break between movies. A movie, the, one movie to the next. Maybe the maybe she gets a movie off Sydney Prescott and then it promises the ret- her return in... in Few things keep me going in life, like Roger Jackson (laughs) talking to Nev Campbell on the phone. I need that to live. You're the most derivative one yet. (laughs) That was great. That was a great conversation. I loved it. She knew every step of the way. Yes. She just didn't know who was behind the mask. He's begging her not to hang up. I'm bored. (laughs) Loved it. I agree. 
it was it was awesome and and to have gail and sydney have those that moment in front of the place and to have so them guess that it was in fact mm-hmm. a trick mm-hmm. it was you know it was amber was it was a trap i love I loved that too absolutely loved it we don't have a ton of homages necessary well we have a ton of I mean, homages. we don't homage, have yeah yeah, we don't have a ton of homages that we haven't talked about yet, or we're not trying to do an Easter egg video mm-hmm. here. Let's, let's take this segment. It was Jennifer Aniston's body where we talk about these homages. And let's talk about the soundtrack because, again, I don't know many of these bands. I know who Alkaline Trio is. They started in 2001 with Pop Punk. The American Scream is a 2012 song. We meet the friend group. This sounds like a, a song where you're caught in the time loop of only listening to these type of songs, Michael. So what did you think of the music of this one? Did you like that song that's set up? And Yeah, I like that pop punk's having a bit of a revelation. It's a bit of a comeback. I like that. That's my sweet spot. Now, that said, again, I looked at the soundtrack. <laughs> I don't know any of these bands. No. I'm Who old. Who does? Right. We're old. That's it. <laughs> I think and I guess John that's, knows these that, that's Yeah, John definitely does. But that's as good as a sign of the times <laughs> as anything. Like, we talked about how the soundtracks have kind of been these perfect time capsules for when these movies were released. I guess it makes perfect sense that, like, this could be a perfect time capsule of 2022 because I don't listen to 2022 music. Yeah, but it's not, though. It's from, I mean, maybe. I mean, some of the songs that the kids are playing, they're different than the songs introducing the characters, though. Like, Fall Out of Love by Salem featuring Carly Hansen. I mean, they could have lied and said it was anybody. <laughs> you could have called that song anything. I, mean, I just, I would have believed it. I mean, I, I could have easily been fooled by any of this, but I, that song felt like it was from 2003, even on, I don't know, to me, it did, didn't feel like 2022, the soundtrack. It felt like 2003 mixed with, you know, some youngster music. What a bop with the worst. children. <laughs> We're the worst people to talk about yeah. this, the music of this movie. Yeah. But <laughs> I like that they had Elm Street. I, I, I mean, going off the music, but they showed Elm Street in the middle of Woodsboro. That was nice. So like you that. knew this all along. She was always yeah. lived on Elm Street. Yeah, well, I mean, Billy Loomis is a Dr. Loomis reference. Wes Carpenter was the guy, it was Wes's name in this, but that's also a name drop that Sidney gave uh, as like an in-joke in Scream well, 1. Well, Samantha Carpenter. So who was Judy Hicks? Judy Hitt and Wes Hicks. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. Yeah, I don't. Oh, Samantha, I, yeah, yeah, Samantha yeah, and Samantha Tara Carpenter. Carpenter. Um, but uh, Sydney's talked about it, there being some Wes Carpenter movie in Scream 1. Um, oh. So, you know, I, there's, there's, there's all, Wes was always doing stuff like that. Yeah, he can't help himself. He could, he, he's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get uh, Tara watching Dawson's Creek. Are there any other homages that we're missing? I'm sure there's like 50 that we're missing that we didn't talk about yet. They talked about uh, Psycho. That was nail on the head. Uh, yep. And I also really enjoyed, I know you were frustrated by it, but that whole Wes walking around his house and we're supposed to, we get a close-up of him with the refrigerator door open and the music's getting all tense and heightened and you close the refrigerator door and there's nobody there and he does it with the pantry door and there's nobody there. I love that shit. I thought that was so funny. So funny on first watch, but I'm getting a little woozy here. (laughs) And this is where we discuss the rest of the worst. So on rewatch, that is an obnoxiously long scene. And I want to just go and get popcorn. But the trope is obnoxious. Of course it, like, yes, every time. And you fell for it every time on first watch. 
on rewatch though, you're kind of watching the filmmaking and you're listening to the music heighten up and like, oh, those dirty tricksters. <laughs> so I had a little fun with that. But you did that's that's an obnoxious scene on rewatch. I, I really only have like rewatch worse, I would say, because like I said, like the Mindy and the Mindy and uh, Amber scene on rewatch is just utterly preposterous, even though we kind of talked about it. The Mindy and Liv scene is some of her best acting where again chad's girlfriend Liv, who's too boring to be so i like i like how mindy's taken out all of her anger against her you know twins love interest you know twins are probably you know more uh protective of one another than Mm -hmm. regular siblings and maybe the significant others get more grief in this instance so the fact that Liv is kept for that one of the last red herrings to that scene is just wonderful performance but utterly ridiculous that she would play along as being the killer in that situation for so long yes and be so good at it too (laughs) like on such a that's an actor doing something that's not a teenager doing a you know a soliloquy well i'm just mad because i was like no Liv's a killer you're too boring to kill you're tall enough and i i thought Liv was it like like Right up until the end, and the fact that they they got me with that, I was upset. Final worst, I, I think this is inarguable, but Samantha almost crashing her car. It's a good jump scare in the movie. Mm-hmm. If you're pulling to a T in pulling into a T intersection <laughs> where you're not slowing down, if an incoming car on the faster road mm-hmm. notices this, mm-hmm. if they notice a car driving fast up to them they will slow down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you will not just beep your horn (laughs) from far away hoping that your beeping would stop them from t-boning you pain is a myth in woodsboro Uh, you can get stabbed you can get t-boned nothing matters unless you need to die for plot purposes and, uh, belligerently beeping your horn. <laughs> had, she, had she been in a high-speed head-on collision in that intersection, Samantha would have been fine because the plot necessitates she make it to the next scene. So, Stomach stabs are like head punches in a Rocky movie in this one, but the dumbest shit is that traffic violation to me. Not even a violation, a near violation. Imagine how upset Billy Loomis would have been if, like, this is how my kid dies. (laughs) He's not helping. Billy, like, the whole Billy Loomis thing, he's like the angel and devil on her shoulder. But he's, like, he is in her head, very obviously. So he's not really, it's not Billy Loomis, of course. Unless you believe in that sort of thing, the ghost sort of thing. But he's not helping her. Like, that's her self-destructive half. Right? Distracting her from driving Well, it's also her self-preservation half, I guess. Hmm. Like, he points out the knife to her at the end. He does point the knife out to her at the end, which she could have seen from her peripheral vision. Right. But I like that they hide knives under every curtain, too, by the way. (laughs) You don't do that in your home? They're prepared. I give them credit. (laughs) Um, He was making a movie called Stab. He was stabbed. This is best of the rest scenes, Mike. We kind of covered. Yeah, we hit all mine, man. (laughs) So Liv and Mandy, the exposition dumps. I I mentioned the opening call. Samantha and Tara in the hospital room 
might be one of the best acted scenes of the series. Again, I am a Oscars pundit who eats this stuff up. I do. She nailed it, Melissa Barrera. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm like, she's her acting is this good. She goes from the dead eye. Like, she has dead eyes mm. in half this movie. Like, you believe she's on, like, she's drugged. <laughs> I thought she's terrific. And then she has moments of lucidity like this, where she's truly reaching out to her sister, Tara, and Tara's gradual realization, not just the heaviness of the and the, the of the well told exposition there from Samantha, the well written exposition, but to end on the fact that it is a connection to the Billy Loomis character, and that being what sets off all the PTSD, the recent wound of terror. Be like, get the hell out, get the hell out of mm. here. Oh, my God. I thought that was a wonderful scene. It was a very well-acted scene, and it was uh, obviously a necessary scene. Might have hurt the pacing a little bit, but, yeah, I have no complaints other than other than that minor one. I mean, this is uh, – it goes back to what we said earlier. This is – if you tried that scene in any other scream, it probably doesn't go over very well. It's not that well acted. <laughs> right. It probably doesn't. You you got to have the people with the chops right. that can pull it off. Right. Which is. No offense. I was trying no, to offense. nicely some say, of, yeah. Some offense. <laughs> I was some trying offense. to nicely put No, I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> Maybe scream think, four. Uh, I could have done it. Maybe I think four. these youngsters can act. Yeah. These are these are serious thespians able to to handle it. Again, some offense. Because to some of these characters in the previous movies, I'm thrilled with the uh, legacy characters acting in this. So let me say that again. And I'm thrilled with Jack Quaid's kind of equally efficient monologuing at the end. So I, I just thought he nailed it. And and he, he you know, he got the high five essentially from his accomplice, Amber. He's like, how'd I do? You did a great baby. You mm-hmm. got it all. I, I agreed with her. It's a problematic relationship, though just on an age level, right? I mean, she's in high school. He's clearly like 25 or 26. Again, uh, the irony of this happening today <laughs> with all these retweeted licorice pizza right, right. things that I felt obligated to so, retweet. Oh, just, God. I mean, that's worth mentioning. <laughs> Good. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Again, all these people are- But they're all so sick and twist. I mean, they're these are serial killers. Yes. Obviously mentally deranged individuals. Who? Most of them, they're in their mid, mid to mid to late twenties still. Which <laughs> I don't think she is. I don't. I don't think Mikey Man. I think she's younger. She's like Tara. She is younger. I think she's gonna be huge, man. She I don't is know just. How old she is. You know who she reminds me of a lot? Feruza Balk, who was who was the main girl in the craft. <sighs> now I gotta look up a picture. <laughs> <laughs> who? Who is that? Oh, Feruza. <laughs> if you said the water boy, I would have been with Ah, oh, I should have said the water boy. I was thinking of Campbell, though. Yeah, I should have said the water boy. Yeah. Skeet Ulrich, Skeet also, Ulrich in, the, is also in... in the craft, yeah. Oh, hmm. my God. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I know they just made a sequel to it, though. What are we doing? This is a two-hour episode. <laughs> the longest episode in history. Um... For West, though, with the birds chirping, final yes. best. Yes, and nice, nice having the character name Wes, so they can do the the cheers to him within the universe as well. <laughs> um, 
Hey, that's the MMO miniseries. That's MMO Screams. That's a lot of Scream. I imagine we will be getting a Scream 6, at least a green light at some point in the near future. Uh, And when the movie drops in the next two or three years, we'll be able to cover that as well. But uh, as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. What do you think about the Scream 2022 entry? Do you have any highs or lows that we didn't cover? Do you agree or disagree with us about anything we did mention? Let us know all that, as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app or the Spotify app, if you would be so kind, if you appreciate what we do to leave us a five-star review, uh, we cannot thank you enough for doing so. Michael, you already said some words of wisdom earlier about Ryan C. Shower's uh, Fantastic Scream podcast. Uh, how about some more words of wisdom? How, or you can just repeat those ones if you want. I'm just rambling at this point. And let the good people know what's coming next from us. No, I think you said it. Uh, green light, Scream 6. There you those, go. Are, those would be words of wisdom right there. And, and hire us to uh, not really write it. Yeah, I don't we gave you the roadmap. We could do the do treatment. That much. Yeah, yeah, just pay us for what we've already done. Yeah, we can, we can give you the treatment. <laughs> No, I don't want to write a treatment. You don't want to write a treatment. Writing. All right. Well, all, all right, right, fine. We'll write the treatment. <laughs> I was trying to. I was trying to lowball my level of work that I want to do. I don't like <laughs> writing things for money. It hasn't worked out for me <laughs> up till now. What are we doing? I keep. I do this every episode. It turns I, into I don't like know this, what you're doing. I know it turns into like this self-reexamination, <laughs> just level of nonsense. Guys, we had so much fun with this mini series. Go back and listen to what parts one and two if you have not uh, listened to those yet. Those were a joy. Uh, love it or hate it. We or like it or dislike it. We always love it. And, mm-hmm. and many of these miniseries, and that proved true for all five of these films. And uh, I think w- this could go into the canon of MMO series now, MMO Screams, and we'll continue to review Screams going forward. In terms of other stuff that we're going to do, obviously we got Oscar race checkpoints. We're going to review Sundance coming up. Uh, I'm going to watch too many movies. I'm already regretting how many movies I'm going to watch. <laughs> At Sundance, we're going to figure out a way for me to review those in a more timely fashion this year. I think, I hope, unless I hate all of them. (laughs) Just a distinct possibility. (laughs) No, we're going to have some fun. And then we're probably going to, you know, probably going to talk about the Oscars coming up. So Yeah, we may do that at some point. That's a... That's something we, uh, we're we might pivot. In. We, yeah. we might pivot back. <laughs> we, we've been known to be interested in award seasons once in a while. Guys, the, yeah. when reality sucks, you can come, come back to Woodsboro with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. I was going to make uh, an Oscar Isaac joke for the 10th time to interrupt you before, but I didn't. <laughs> so I won't. I won't. I refuse to. I'm happy. We'll I see you. Went right through it. <laughs> yeah, see you. <ya. laughs>